Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome back to Countercharge, and we're back again with another new player, Andrew Malik. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's get your uh, little bit of background on you. Where are you from? I'm from here, from Memphis. I was born in Millington back when there was still a hospital over at the Navy base. Um, Are you a Navy brat then? I am not, actually. My dad is Air Force. So he okay. came here as uh, when he was transitioning from his position in the Air Force to the Air National Guard. Absolutely. And then after that, he uh, got a job at FedEx, and, you know, that's why we're The rest, here. as they say, is history. Exactly. Well, let's talk about your tabletop origin story. So how did you get into tabletop wargaming? Because we'll touch on, you play a lot of games. I do. I do. I'm kind of like a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to tabletop exactly. gaming. So give us your story. So How'd you get into it? I got into it when I was really young. Um, I have an older brother. He's about eight years older than I am, and uh, he was more into gaming than I was. And me being the annoying little brother, I was always curious about what he was doing with his friends. And uh, one day, I want to say I was six, uh, back at our old house in Bartlett, uh, one of his friends finally gave in and decided to show me what they were doing. And it was uh, back then, it was Battletech. Um and I had a blast. I really, at the time, probably didn't have a concept of how rules and tabletop gaming was, but uh, I just enjoyed the fact that I got to play with minis and I got to roll dice. And uh, it kind of stuck with me ever since. After that, I obviously didn't play for a little bit, but it left that impression of tabletop gaming. And uh, when my dad took me to a hobby store nearby, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my It wasn't Mid-South Hobbies. It was not Mid-South. It was not Mid-South. Game something? Something. It was, uh, I remember they moved to the uh, Oak Court Mall at one point. Okay. Uh, but my dad took me in there, just showed me around, uh, get me into, like, you know, I was always talking about wanting to do more mini-gaming. Right. And that's when I got into 40K, which, for the most part, has been one it's of been, the main games. Been with you for a long time. Correct. And since then, like... Yeah, uh, you, you play a lot of games, so let's yes, touch on I some did. of those. So I, I loved 40K, but at some point, I, uh, you know, the ups and downs of how tabletop games change, I was looking for something different. Well, and, what, what was it about G- the 40K game system that had kind of moved away from you? Well, what got me is I, I'm more of a player about lore. I'm not really about winning most of the time. Mm-hmm. I like making my armies, building my armies based off of the stories that I write for them. Right. And... Uh, I would say it was probably about 5th or 6th edition 40K, Imperial Guard, kind of... I wouldn't say they, they got bad, but the things that I enjoyed about my guard were not good anymore. And uh, it got to the point where it wasn't fun to play, because a lot of people would take very medalists, and uh, uh, they, would have fun, they wouldn't have fun playing me, because I didn't have a medalist, and they knew they would win. And I didn't have any fun playing, because even though I had an army that was similar in points to theirs, it really technically wasn't on the table because right. there's things about my units that weren't good. And uh, I was just looking to try something different. I was yeah. Do you like, think Do you think it was the game itself moved away from you or do you think it's the type of players you were playing with? It was or? definitely the type of players because okay. I still play 40K. I, yeah. I never stopped effectively. A lot of people are like, when did you stop playing? I was like, I never did. I just, I was just, I got picky about yeah. who I played with. 
And as long as you were playing for fun, I'd always be down to roll dice. It didn't matter what game it was. And I'm assuming on the spectrum of competitive to hobby, you're all the way to the hobby side. Mostly, yes. Or hobby, lore, background story, correct, narrative. Correct. Narrative guy. I am more of a narrative guy than I am a competitive guy, for sure. So what other games do you play, though? You touched on 40K. Uh, 40K. I, uh, after 40K, I got into War Machine for a bit, and that was my first taste of actual competitive gaming. Um, I played that for a little bit. I didn't get too into it, but it was fun mm-hmm. trying to get into a different system that was a little bit more fast-paced. Uh, and then after that, my friend got me into the bolt-action system, which I found a lot of fun. Was that Morgan Evans? No, actually, it was my friend Nick. He's not here anymore. He lives down in uh, Mississippi. He okay. works as a pharmacist out in Vicksburg. But he was the one that got me into bolt-action, um, and I played that for a while. And then after that, I, I like naval games, so yeah. I convinced a lot of my friends to play Firestorm Armada. Yep. Um, and... I play, a lot of my friends got me into Drop Zone. Drop Zone, Drop Zone Commander, Drop Fleet, yep. Yep, and then uh, um, probably one of the games that you probably seen me play, you you make comments about me playing all the time, I got into Infinity, and that's probably what I would consider one of my main games That's an understatement, though, to say you're into Infinity, because you're here like, I've only been here like twice in a month that you weren't here. And so every other time you're here playing Infinity, so yes. it's quite impressive. I, I I really like Infinity, and I got into it um, mostly because of the models. I love true right. scale stuff, and yeah. uh, I bought one of the starter sets back in 2015, I want to say, and uh, I didn't expect anybody to get into it with me, so I bought it, decided I was going to play both factions. I really wasn't able to convince a lot of people to play it, though, because on paper, Infinity is a really complicated game. And at the time, I was also in school, finishing up college, mm-hmm. so I didn't really have a time to sit down with my friends and focus on learning the game. Uh, but we went to Adepticon this year, um, and I was able to convince a lot of the guys to try it out again. Right. And ironically, as you know, being a, a Memphis gamer, it's it's there are a lot more people that play the game than you think, mm-hmm. just because there was not a common place to play. Right. But uh, as the war room opened, I found out there's about 20 people in Memphis that play Infinity, and you know exactly. Now we have this giant it's, community here. It's funny because I think uh, a lot of times people, um, the rule set is just part of the, the thing, right? Correct. It's really the people that play it, right? So it doesn't, in some regards, the rule set, like for Infinity on face value, is super complicated. Yes, but, it does. But the reality is, if you play with the right people, it's all good. Correct. And it's a lot easier to learn as if you have people that are willing to teach you. And Absolutely. that was my experience when I started I actually do play Infinity competitively. Yeah. I wouldn't consider myself the best player. I'm, right. I'm probably kind of, I don't know, bottom rung. But again, I just play because it looks cool. Right. And uh, that was one of the things that my friend Rich and I did when we went to, uh, decided to go to one of the bigger tournaments in St. Louis, having no clue that it was like a national tournament and there were some of the top 10 people in the U.S. Right. playing there. But uh, what really got me excited about the community was, even though these guys were hyper-competitive players, these are some of the dudes that play, they travel all across North America to play in these tournaments. They were, none, all of them were willing to, to you know, oh, absolutely. teach you things about the game, help you make your lists, figure out what you liked and what you didn't like and the ways you can optimize that to your advantage. And I was like, wow, I have never played a competitive game that before this, at this point, that I felt like people wanted new players it's an endearing quality for a community because it makes you feel wanted and it gives you a reason it's motivation okay you guys you guys are nice you're you're showing me the game you're not stomping me into the ground this is i want more of this actually that was the funny thing about infinity is that you are getting stomped in the ground but they will actually tutor you as to why or the things right decisions you're learning that you're right because even if you lose big that's okay as long as you're learning from it yes so sci-fi historical fantasy where do you fall I'm mostly a sci-fi guy and a little bit of historicals because I do yeah. play bolt action. 
Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Napoleonics as, a, as an era. I don't play a game for the Napoleonics yet. Um, and then probably I would say fantasy is like not necessarily a bottom tier, but it's mm-hmm. what I'm least interested in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely more of a sci-fi guy than, than anything else. Well, let's talk about Kings of War. How did it get on your radar? Uh, I would say that, that Kings of War was all you. Because uh, okay. there was a time where I had a friend who was thinking about getting into it. But, again, at the time, college, uh, I was already focused on playing uh, Drop Zone Commander and War Machine at the time and Firestorm. So I was like, I've got three games. I don't want to learn anything yeah. else. Uh, but it wasn't until I walked into the War Room and you're like, hey, man, why don't you want to get in a demo? And I was like, sure, why not? Yeah. Uh, part of the other reason why th- that too is I have uh, one of my best friends, uh, John. He plays. He's a huge fan of historicals. He mm-hmm. loves his Romans. I said, "Hey, man, if you can find an excuse for your Romans to fight samurai, then I'm down." And yeah. that's when we got turned on to the idea of Kings of War, the historical book, and all that stuff. Yeah, so, and we were talking to Anthony. Uh, Anthony, we were talking to Austin earlier about this. That it's uh, unusual in that we're growing the Kings of War scene, but a big part of that is are you guys that are bringing the historical stuff. You know, the historical armies to the table. So what is it about Kings of War from that standpoint that, you know, obviously you went and invested in a whole samurai army. So, yes, I did. I did. Um, probably part of that is I just everyone always talks about who is better. Is it like the Knights of the Medieval Era or the Samurai or the Romans? And I obviously from, you know, the, the more historical part of me is like it doesn't really matter because, you know, there was never going to be a circumstance where any of those types of fighters or warriors would ever fight. Right. But it's a fun concept to think about. And uh, having the historical book obviously dumbs down exactly what kind of qualities each unit, each person would yeah. have. It still would be, it's still cinematic. It's still a spectacle to see, to see, you know, testudo formations of Roman legionnaires fighting a bunch of samurai. Like, that's what makes it fun. And uh, I think what's cool, too, is the way that they made both the fantasy side of Kings of War and the historical side of Kings of War compatible. I know that, uh, you know, in our conversations, you talked about how a lot of the times the historicals might be a little bit underpowered. underpowered right, because they, they don't have access to some of the stuff that the fantasy armies have. Correct. But as like I said before, I'm in this for the aesthetic. I'm in this for the lore. So it's yeah. fun to see, you know, exactly. how would a samurai army go up against the dwarves or exactly. fighting a bunch of, you know, beast men. So it's fun because I think Kings of War is a good vehicle for having an excuse to play with your friends whatever armies you want you know there's tons of different armies out there there's 30 historical 26 fantasy and it's just it's just a way to get people to the table and like you said there are some interesting matchups ogres versus romans or samurais versus romans i mean even uh you know if, if push comes to shove though when you think about it you could always proxy human factions that just oh sure as like kingdoms of men and yeah, then, absolutely and then you have access to everything uh, absolutely that would have. but there's something to be said with uh, giving what I would call it is an accessible historical game. It's not a historical game in the classic sense where, uh, as you mentioned, they have taken liberties with the timing, you know, with with the way they've made their army lists, so that it gives you a cinematic feel for the army. Maybe not be as historically accurate as some of the other games like DBA, but it, there's enough there to make it interesting. Um, and it's accessible because some of the historical games I've played in the past are very, very crunchy and very yes. um, I, 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 they're 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 intimidating, right? Yes. And so I this game seems to be attracting. I mean, maybe you can talk to that. I mean, you've played a, a couple games. What what is it about the rule set that? The simplicity, actually. I I do like the fact that Kings of War makes it easy to learn by not having 
tons and tons of special rules you need to focus on. Yeah. Of course, like units have their own special rules, but it's not like you know you have the main rule book and then you have to go through and you have to look at a faction rule book and then in the faction rule book you have your sub factions and those units have their special rules that are only specific to that rule book. So I appreciate the fact that uh, uh, you know when you look at a, a unit entry in Kings of War, whatever special rules there are, it's it's pretty universal. So it's like even if your opponent is obviously not feeling the same units you are, you can be like, oh, I don't know what this rule means. They can be like, well, this this is what this means. It's crushing strength one. Yes. You, yeah. You, it, it, it's, it's it's universal. Yeah, and uh, uh, and I've realized that as I'm going into more games now, that I feel like having kind of a universal rule set, special rules, is what makes a game more attractive to me. Because the less thing, the less time that you spend flipping through a book, the more time you are having fun rolling dice, absolutely. Playing the game. And uh, I think that's what got me into Kings of War is just like the two games that I've played with with y'all have I've were a blast and they weren't hard to learn and the focus was about just having fun. So exactly, I think Kings of War's rule set does also in your specific case it lends itself to being a second game, right, or a third game. You know, like if you if if you have the main game that you're trying to be the super competitive guy at, uh, Kings of War is a game you can be casual with because you can come back in six months and the game hasn't changed. Yes, I can agree with that. And then also, uh, as you know, we talked about, we touched on previously, I'm, I'm playing competitive Infinity. And while Infinity in and of itself, once you start learning it, isn't complicated, there's a lot of nuances that make it a, a tiring and like an exhausting game to play. Right. Because whenever you're making those decisions in those games, you always have to, it's, it's really more like playing a ridiculous level of 4D chess. Right. Whereas I can come to other games and just be a little bit more relaxed mm-hmm. where, you know, Oh yeah, I don't have to pay attention to this line of sight from across the map that this guy has a hidden unit over there or something. I can just be like, "All right, let's go. Let's let's throw let's throw some dice and charge units at each other." Absolutely. Like that game where I played against Edwin, right? I yeah, was, where he was playing Mongols and you were playing like the samurai. samurai. I was like, mm-hmm. if I was going to be a, a daimyo of my samurai army, what would I do? I wouldn't maneuver all that much. I'd run right at him. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about that. How did you come to the decision you were going to make a samurai army? I. Uh, I came to the decision for Samurai just because I've been trying to find an excuse to have a Samurai, like some form of Samurai army. Yeah. Um, I There are not a lot of games out there that I feel like allow you to play a giant Samurai army or like blocks of Samurai. And uh, I mean, there are plenty of good Samurai games out there. Yeah. Uh, Test of Honor. Test of Honor is one, yep. Um, but you play Bush, you probably played Bushido before. I've not played it. I've seen it. Yeah, I have, that's more I've of a skirmish it. game, though. I think. Yes, exactly. And I want to play a game where I'm feeling a, a, like a giant army. I'm Ranks a big fan planes. of the Total War games, right? And Shogun Two Total War being one of my favorite ones. I want to be that guy in charge of a giant army, and I like the fact that you know, when it comes to playing Kings of War, you kind of get that same feel. Like you're commanding units of armies, not just individuals. Right. And I think that's that's really appealing to me. And Everyone else plays your kind of like generic knights. Well, not say generic, but you know, you got your Romans, you have your kingdoms of men, and then people play medieval knights. And I was like, I wanted it to be a little different. Like, uh, I could have probably gone like with Morgan, right? He bought two Macedonians, but again, I like how you said Macedonians. That's nice. Oh yeah, well, you're one, you're like the only person that says it right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I want to know about that. It's just I started getting into a habit when I realized when I was looking at the Cyrillic of, of how you say it. I was like, oh okay, it's actually a K, not a not a C. Maybe I'm being pretentious, but. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. You play Infinity. <laughs> oh, it doesn't okay, go with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I I, I really do like the uh, the period, mm-hmm. uh, the Sengoku Jidai period of of Japan, and I I just like the aesthetic and and the feel of the samurai. So I was just like, you know, if I'm going to pick a faction to play for Kings of War that I just want to have that aesthetic for, yeah, I would want to go for a Kingdoms of Men or like some kind of form where I can just take my samurai. Exactly, and it looks cool. So. Yeah. I like the fact, though, that there's uh, there's about, what, four of you that have, that have, in the process of picking up new historical armies. 
and I think that's cool. We've got you with the samurai, and then um, I know John's got Romans, and Matt has got uh, it's Poles, the, yeah, Pol- the, the Polish. Polish, yeah. So it, it's really neat to oh, and and Robin's got Vikings, and then so, Morgan has his, and Morgan's got Macedonians. <laughs> but no, it's really neat because um, even though it is compatible, and it is compatible with the fantasy stuff. There's going to be opportunities for you guys to play some really interesting, I'm air quoting, historical games. Yes. Because, I mean, Samurais and Vikings probably never saw each other, right? No, I think probably that's never. Pretty, pretty much a guarantee. But this game allows that, and I think that's neat. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm really excited. I've already started, you know, as you see right now, I'm building my Samurai. So Absolutely. I'm excited. And let's talk about that. What range did you go with? I went with the uh, Warlord range. And uh, there are plenty of other minis I looked at, Zenit Miniatures being one of them. Uh, I really like Zenit's high detail minis, but the thing is, is they were pretty expensive because they're metal. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I did like how Warlord had a very accessible samurai starter army. It was it's on, like one hundred and twenty dollars. It was one hundred and twenty dollars, and it's one hundred and thirteen minis. You come with the general, yeah. twelve samurai cavalry, twenty samurai models. You've got your basic Ashigaru spearmen. Uh, mm-hmm. I think forty of them, and then yeah. you have forty Ashigaru with ranged weapons. And I think the kit allows you to build them with bows or with guns. Did so. you build a list yet for the game, or are you just building the models and then? I built a thou- I built a thousand points. A thousand point list. Yeah, yes. that's good. Um, that's a good starter army. And I did that in anticipation of when John comes, because when yeah. he's he's done with school, because he's in school right now. Yeah. Uh, I know he's going to look forward to playing his Romans. And well, he's like, got all the models built. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that man has just so many Romans. It's ridiculous. I, I've known John for probably three or four years now, and mm-hmm. and uh, that's one thing that's always been consistent about him. It didn't matter what game that we're mm-hmm. playing. If he sees some cool Roman minis, he'll buy them. Right. Yeah, so he, he's, he's ready. He's just looking So the Warlord stuff, How he, I mean, you've got a lot of history with Warlord, obviously playing Bolt Action. I know you've played Conflict 47. So how are they to put together? Um, I would say that they've improved significantly. When I first started playing Bolt Action back in uh, 2012, uh, their kits were a little bit hinky because there was not a lot of like guidance. Right. Everything is just, here are the parts, put them together. Right. Um, it's still a little bit of that. There's a lot of dry fitting when it comes to putting the Warlord minis together, but I do like the fact that a lot of their minis are now plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you have that kind of a little bit of maneuverability with them. Easier uh, to convert. Easier to convert. Mm-hmm. And uh, while the dry fitting is still kind of a pain uh it's not as tedious as it was in their older kits they've improved a lot so and i assume by the time you're done you're going to be an expert at putting some of these models together uh i would definitely justify saying so having 40 ashigaru to put together with spears exactly (laughs) so i feel like i'd have to know what i like i would know what i'm doing by the time that comes exactly so. so what's got you most excited about playing kings of war historicals Oh, actually, I I wouldn't even say it's necessarily the the version of Kings of War that I'm playing. I'm just excited to see people out here playing the game. Yeah. So what gets me excited is coming up to the store and knowing that I can play a game with someone and it'd be cool. So exactly, and it's not going to be overly well. I mean, Austin's pretty competitive. He's 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 pretty he's a pretty competitive guy. Well, as long as he's chill about playing the game, yeah. No, I don't see but, one. But in all seriousness, I think yeah, I think we have. A, I think it's a reflective of the community that has uh, chosen War Room as their home. Are very cool guys. There's not. I don't. I haven't seen a lot of the hardcore elements. I, maybe they don't exist here in Memphis. I don't know. I feel like they do. It's just. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time because you know War Room. We we you know the store's August. been open for like yeah, a just month, a couple, two months yeah. now. Yeah. So it'll probably happen at some point. But as long as everyone here at the store is just aware of exactly. Kind of we well, we were bummed you you didn't make the tournament the last. We had 18 oh, yeah, players, yeah. man. It would have been nice. But next time, next tw- time, October 26th, and they'll actually have my army. I don't have to exactly, borrow one. Exactly, exactly. So, 
So what tip would you give somebody? You obviously only play two games, but what tip would you give to a new player thinking about Kings of War? Oh, for me, I, I usually will, uh, I say what I do for every tabletop game. I would go with what you think looks cool. Yeah. Um, that's Just been, pick models you enjoy. Exactly. That's been my mantra this whole time. And uh, even in the competitive games, like, you know, I play Infinity, uh, I still pick the models that I think look cool. And it's just about making what you're like an army that works for you. Like as long as you're having fun rolling the dice, then I don't see any reason why you should pick something that you don't like. Let's talk about your army. What's the background story? What's the? Th- I know you. I know you have already thought about this. Yes, I have. I haven't gotten 100% into it yet, uh, but I have already written sort of like a brief background behind my uh, uh, my samurai in the fantasy Kings of War universe. Actually, let me see if I can pull it. That would be great. Real quick. Uh, I do know that I can tell you that I called it the Kiyosu Empire and that it is a kingdom, a, a human kingdom that is kind of isolationist. They kind of keep to themselves, but they do have that reputation for being legendary and how they create their weapons. And they have this code of conduct that they live by, which you would expect being a samurai right. faction. Uh, let's see. Okay, so yeah, uh, based off of what they do for the Kings of War lore currently, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's going to change with the third edition coming well, out. Well, it won't one. affect it won't affect your army. Right, yeah, I won't affect my yeah. army, but uh, with what they have so far, uh, Kyosu Empire is a kingdom of men uh, inhabits the world of Mantica, and it exists as an isolationist society and is the remnants of an ancient peoples whose history has been lost during the dark era of the time of ice. Uh, driven from their ancestral homes, uh, they settled atop the peaks of the Dragon Teeth Mountains from which they rebuilt their current empire. Uh, they live by a strict code of conduct, and they find themselves vastly outnumbered by their neighbors. So as a result of that, they are forced to employ great cunning and subterfuge in order to survive, knowing that their nation may very well be the last of their kind. So, it's, Let's see. They're the least populous of the kingdoms of men, and only ever de- sally their entire army in uh, extreme circumstances, and instead often prefer utilizing their elite Orochi and Shinobi orders to project their political goals. Uh, they are characteristically unified under the rule of an emperor and empress, but the empire is broken down into nearly a dozen houses ruled by their respective daimyos. So, and that's all I've got really so far. That's but. a pretty good start. Let's be <laughs> honest. That's a pretty good start, and that's and that's what we, we're going to expect from you. You know, you, you set the bar so high. Oh well. I mean, you got to come in. Carrying the banners and stuff. Uh, it would depend on the cost. Samurai armor is not really cheap, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I. Uh, when it comes to any of the hobbies that I do, half the fun for me is writing the lore of, of whatever faction I'm playing. It, whether it be my the Kyosu Empire, the King of Kings of War, or yeah. my uh, Remnant Fleet for Drop Fleet Commander, the new Raven Rock Defense Fleet, and stuff like that. I just. I love the creativity behind the hobby in general. And yeah. That's what drives me to do more of what I do. Well, and I think Kings of Wars uh, has an ambiguous. Uh, for the fantasy side, it's a little bit more um, developed. But the historical stuff, I mean, it's ripe. Exactly. So, you know, it's sort of like just the same way that you can play with whatever models you want. The story is it's your army, your story. Yeah, and then the other thing, too, about Kings of War, doing the brief history that I did, or not history, but the brief research that I did about the lore for Kings of War, it actually lends itself more to being open with people creating what they want to create. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my long history with the GW community, I do like the fact that they have a lot of developed lore, but at the same time, it can be pretty stringent about what you want to do. So if you're someone who's like me, where you want to make something for yourself, you have these certain parameters that make it difficult to be as creative as you want to be. 
whereas for you know kings of war they just have that catch-all for the kingdoms of men where it's just like okay i can make whatever knight faction i want or if i want to make some kind of like you know feudal russian faction or i can be like you know an ancient african kingdom it doesn't matter they're all kingdoms of men and they're just all in this area of the world of mantica and you can basically do what you want so they give you a big sandbox exactly but you can make whatever castle you want exactly and i think that's cool yeah yeah. It's funny because, I mean, I think there's a lot of games that do that, some better than others. Um, and you mentioned GW. I mean, they have a very, very defined lore for everything. And, and I just sometimes that- it's sometimes for me is creatively like a negative just because there's like it was like with 40K in particular, it was hard for me to find where I carved my own niche or my own space. Like, you know, in this, you just can create your own empire. Yeah, actually, what's funny about that, too, is uh, I, I talk about this with Morgan all the time because, you know, he's he's probably my best friend. I talk to him about my lore all the time, and uh, I have, on one side of the fence, we have GW, where it's like, because of, you know, the territory of being as old as they are, they have, you know, books and novels and just bukus and bukus of lore, and as a result, it becomes stringent. On the other side of the coin, you have some game universes that is there's actually too little. Uh, I, I say that in the sense of Drop Zone Commander. I play uh, the post-human Republic, PHR, and their whole shtick in the universe is that they're a mysterious faction that nobody really knows their goals or where their home planet is. Uh, that's cool, but whenever you're trying to create lore behind like your company or your fleet in Drop Zone Commander or Drop Fleet Commander and you're playing PHR, it makes it really difficult to make assumptions about a faction that you know nothing about. I mean, I guess the concern would be you create a whole thing and then the company comes up and says, no, that's not how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And then it, you don't gets, want you know, it it almost gets, like, at least with GW, they're not going to undermine you. You kind of already know what an ultramarine is. Exactly. But with yeah. PHR, you don't. You don't know anything about PHR. You just know that it's the post-human republic and uh, they escaped Earth during a giant civil war. Right, time. and then they ended up, they were humans and they went and did this thing and now they're sort of humans. Yeah, exactly. And then you don't know their home planet. You don't know, you know, what their role is in this whole reconquer, reconquest of Earth that they're trying, like everyone's trying to do. Right. And they, they're just like, they're not friends with anyone. They're not enemies with anyone. Exactly. It's just like, what do they do? I mean, what's their whole goal? And we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we don't even know what their home planet looks like or what their society is built as. So, so once you finish this Japanese samurai army, what's next? Byzantine, oh, maybe? Probably Byzantines, because if there's any other faction that I really enjoy, I do like the history of the Eastern Roman Empire. I had the uh, the pleasure of visiting Istanbul in 2016, and uh, got to you know walk on the walls of Constantinople. And my brother is a huge, huge history buff when it comes to that kind of stuff. So. I got to learn a lot about the city, the history, awesome. the Eastern Roman Empire, and uh, that really kind of got the gears turned on the idea that once I'm done with my Japanese, I'll probably maybe venture into That's that. That's what I'm trying to figure out now, because obviously with all you guys playing historicals, I've got to buy a historical army too. <laughs> but I'm trying to find one that nobody else wants to do, right? Because it, it, it sounds like a lot when you say there's 30. But really, there's 30, but there's some that are similar, right? And so I'm trying to find that, that army that nobody really... And, and really, I, I like the ancient period, so I really don't want the more pike and shot era. I want yeah. more pike, spears, phalanxes. Exactly. So I know Macedonians is what uh, Morgan went with. I manage going with the Greeks or the Spartans. But then again, everybody has those armies, so I don't know. I, I'm, well, you say that, but I don't know of anyone here yet that's yeah. those armies. So I might, I might, might skip the Spartans and just go with just basic Greeks and just, uh, you know, knock them out because I, I just I love the look of a unit of 40 dudes holding big pikes yeah yeah it's pretty awesome and I'm actually pretty excited for building my Ashigaru that's why I'm doing them first 
having like 20, 30 guys on a base with just a bunch of spears. Have you thought about like what models you're going to add to to this army? Obviously, you've got a thousand point list in your mind and you've got the starter box. What's the next? Have you already thought about what's the next? I mean, are you going to work in some non-Warlord stuff into the army? Uh, maybe at some point, because I do like a lot of the uh, Zenit minis. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have... I a handful of their stuff that I'm going to probably use as like commanders for my formations or heroes and That'd stuff be awesome. like that. But if I'm I'm thinking about adding more because obviously historical units are really cheap in terms of their points. If I start building towards things like 1,500, 2,000 points, I might just buy another starter box and then just play around. Just with keep that. going. Yeah, exactly. And then that gives me a lot of freedom to you know make smaller units, bigger units. You know, and that's the other thing that I kind of like about Kings of War is that you don't necessarily have to do full model count as long as you have the right base size. Really, it's it's just making it look cool. Yeah, exactly. I remember uh, I was looking through after I got into Kings of War. I was looking at some of the uh, some of the other armies that people have posted on the Facebook sites and on, online, and it's cool. But I I think whenever I see full unit count on some stuff, it looks a little too crowded. Uh, Depends on the range for sure, but yeah, yeah. you can. You see uh, Roman legionnaires in Testudo formation. You yeah. can, that makes sense, you know, being yeah. shoulder to shoulder. But then you see like a formation of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Gauls mm -hmm. and they're shoulder to shoulder. And you're like, they probably wouldn't have been that tight whenever they were fighting the Romans. I mean, they, right. were, they were not about giant formations of line infantry. So Exactly. Well, uh, Kings of War obviously gives you, it's your army. Base it the way you want. Make it look cool. Yeah, as long as nobody's going to be chip about it, nobody's going to be chip about it. Yeah, exactly. Especially as long as we can tell what it is, right? Yeah, as long as it's clearly defined. I mean, I think that was one of the things that I got Edwin when we played our our starter game with just bases. He'd forgotten yeah. it was samurai cab. Not yeah, samurai. yeah, well, that's a big thing, right? I mean, when you're just demoing the game and just playing with different lists, you can do that. But when you're really getting serious about it, it really helps to have the models there because you can see, oh, that is, forget, that's those are mounted samurai. Exactly, that's a problem. Yeah. So I look forward to when I can get this army painted. I already have a paint scheme in mind and all that stuff. So what colors are you going with? Uh, so I actually, um, this is a really, really like nerdy, and probably my historical friends will hate me for doing this, but I play a game called For Honor, and then I have a character in it that has a really cool like blue and black paint scheme, yep. which is what I'm going for for my uh, fantasy Japanese empire yeah. and, and the Mantic and you know, and the Kings of War universe, and that's right. probably what I'm going to end up doing, which isn't like historically accurate at all. Granted, right. also samurai were kind of like medieval knights in the sense that they had their own custom armors so really if i wanted to be accurate i could just paint each samurai model whatever i wanted but almost like a french knight you know or, uh, well or like the bretonians yeah, like of back in gw yep. where they would have everyone would have their own coat to arms exactly but i'm just going for like something universal i have a unified japanese kingdom where everybody's like you know we're here to we just want to survive and be a you know be here have our people here so it's just going to probably be a universal black blue and white which right Seems boring whenever you look at all the other armies that I've painted during my time playing tabletop because I always go for some form of winter mountainous rocky theme that's all blue, black, and white. But sometimes, you know, you got to go with what you know. So Exactly. So one of the things I've been talking to Matt a lot about is he's actually going to incorporate some mythical allies. Have you thought about any of those? I have thought about it. Uh, probably not too deeply just yet. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant about the mythical units just because I'm really picky about mm -hmm. the way that I like my fantasy minis. Well, you're more of a historical guy. I think you're going to stay on the historical side probably. I think Matt is looking at it as an opportunity to add some fantastical elements to his historical army, which then can be leveraged in a fantasy army down the road. Yeah, actually, so I, I have been thinking about that too just a little bit. I know uh, uh, Chris Goad showed me a Kickstarter where 
Titan uh, Forge. Yeah, Titan Forge made some really cool Asian themed fantasy stuff, samurai. And uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the Asian dragons. Uh, yeah, you know, the Emperor dragons are awesome. Emperor dragons are super cool. So I, I may get some of those down the line at some yeah. point because I really do like the idea of the Emperor dragons, and I think that stuff is cool. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Is there anything we missed? Yeah, no, I think that was good. Good cover. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Andrew. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.